0: I don't care because (laughs) I always wanted
1: to be Captain America. Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time, the Legion of dudes. Dude, Dude.
2: his dudeness, Duder, El Duderino, dude, dude.
1: Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe.
2: It's the Legion of Dudes podcast.
1: Normally, in combat, Captain America would relish odds of 5 to 1. Today, however, thoughts of his long-dead pal, Bucky, cloud his mind. But as his attackers force
2: the issue, the depression fades through the sheer joy of physical combat. All right, who's next? And now, here's the dudes. When Captain America throws his
1: mighty shield.
0: Everyone to the Legion of Dudes podcast. Today we're going to be discussing Ed Brubaker's run on Captain America. We'll be covering a two-part episode on what breaks down to be the Captain America omnibus Volume 1, which is issues 1 through 25 of Captain America, including the death of Captain America. We'll probably talk a little bit about Civil War. You know, we'll start off by talking about a little bit of history of Cat, what our experiences have been with the character, and then just some general Cat discussion. So, with me tonight... I have Mr. Adam Euback,
1: Mr. Johnny M,
0: Ken Morgan, and Jim D. Hi, These everybody. Gentlemen.
1: Hi. Howdy. Yeah. Hey, Hello. So the the local uh, Garrison Corita Star Wars group and the local Brown Shirt group are putting together a, 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 a benefit uh, for Equality Now. It works for the protection of women's rights around the world. It's called Can't Stop the Serenity. The doors open at 6 p.m. They're going to be showing the movie uh, Serenity, uh, the the Firefly film, at 9.30. And there's going to be lots going on in between. There's going to be training for the young Jedis. There's going to be uh, uh, troop movements, all kinds of fun stuff. And uh, like I said, it's a benefit for equality now. It's going to be at the Ross Community Center uh, Saturday, August 1st, which would be the day before our big uh, 15th anniversary. So, if you're in the Pittsburgh area and you'd like to help out and you're a fan of Star Wars or Firefly, and I know I am, please uh, go down and help them out. Thanks. And thanks, guys.
3: New no problem. When, when's the date on that again? No
1: August 1st. Saturday, August 1st. The door's open at 6 p.m. Oh, okay. And then they're going to be showing the movie at 9.30 and there's going to be a lot of, of uh, activities in between. Cool. So, it'll be a little geek uh, escapade. All right. It's thanks, good. guys.
4: Hey, what the hell is up with Wednesday comics? I don't get it.
3: What is up with this Wednesday comics? It feels like Sunday, but it's not. It's Wednesday. I don't
4: understand.
1: I don't uh, I don't get it. And the airline food. What's up with the airline <laughs> food? You know, I got my box
0: this past week and when I was combing through everything and pulling everything out, I kinda had the same reaction. It really I, I don't know what I was expecting. I haven't seen it. The only thing I've seen is the promo pages and stuff. So when I opened it up and it looked like it almost looked like Comic Shop news. You know, stuff a lot thicker. I wasn't. I guess I, for whatever reason, I was expecting it to have a like a regular glossy comic cover, and then the pages inside to be on that quasi newsprint or that newsprint or whatever it was, and have it fold out that way. I don't know why I wasn't expecting it to be like a regular, like a like a real newspaper folded up. So yeah, I was. It, it really caught me off guard when I first got it.
4: I thought it looked great. I mean, obviously the lineup speaks for itself. I mean, the art is fantastic, but. You know, I don't get the fascination and the claim that you're getting some kind of nostalgia out of opening up a giant thing like. I mean, did anybody here read Sunday comics for like superhero stuff? I mean, no. yeah, I,
0: I read through the, the the Spider-Man stuff as a kid. You know, not religiously, but but I would I would read through it.
3: Not in the content, but the, the the tactile sensation of sitting there with a newspaper folded op- 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 opened up at Anya, reading comics in general. So maybe not superhero stuff, but I definitely got that nostalgic sense out of it. It definitely, this is, if anything, is going to illustrate the difference between, like, an art guy and a comic guy and, and, and a story guy. Um, this is it. Because, you know, I'm, I'm definitely more of a story guy myself, but I still appreciate the, the artwork on here. And uh, I can see that's where it lies. Like the Supergirl one in, in, in the first... Wednesday Comics issue, I thought was great. You know, it was just fun. It was light. And you see this little girl looking up at S- Supergirl and crypto. And she's like, I want that. You know, meaning, meaning crypto. It just was like the sense of wonder was there. That said, from a story side point, no, I'm not really satisfied by it, but I can appreciate, you know, the intent. You know, that said, I didn't buy two or three. Right. You know, that, right. What does I tell you?
1: Cool thing that I've noticed about Wednesday Comics, and I've bought all three of them now, is that people who don't read comics will pick it up and check it out. I've left copies sitting around the restaurant, and some of my employees are, are comic geese and some aren't but just about everybody's picked it up to check it out and to look at the art, and especially as some of the issues have gone by, like issue two and issue three, some of the artists are really using that full page of space a lot more in a lot more of a design sense. Like In issue three, there's this great spiral of dead man uh, being spiraled into you know some ungodly realm or whatever, and it, it was really reminiscent of Darwin Cook, and it was really uh, cool, and you wouldn't get that kind of effect on a regular comic book size page. Um, I I think... Ken's on to something about the tactile thing I don't know if it's really nostalgia for Sunday comics but the act of like opening it up or whatever seems to be really intriguing to people who don't normally I mean I leave regular comics around the restaurant too but a lot of people who aren't into comics have been sucked into the Wednesday stuff
4: well here's my question then totally agreeing with you how are people that don't read comics going to get their hands on it because when you go to a newsstand if you're going to jump on the train and you go to the newsstand to pick up your USA Today or whatever I mean it's not there you know what I mean? So are these people going to go to an LCS and find this? And then, you know, the answer is no, because the non-comic readers are not going into the LCS. So is there like a better way to distribute this thing or a better plan?
3: You know, that's, that's a gr- great point, because, well, Jim, I see what you're saying. You know, someone's going to pick who's not a comic reader is going to pick it up and read it because well, there's, there's no commi- commitment to it. You can pick it up. You can say, oh, wow, I, you know, I, Superman was fun. I used to read it all the time, put it down and go back on their life. I really look at this more as being um, like the, the sampler tray at, at you know, Applebee's, or whatever. You get to try a little bit of everything. I mean, I, I would never, I would never pick up an Adam Strange comic. I have no interest in him. But you know what? It was fun reading them. I already said, admitted, I, they haven't gotten me to uh, to go full in on this and commit to this. So how effective is it really to, to me as a as a story guy? But to sample and to try stuff out, that's where it is. You know, they're only doing twelve issues though, which is probably a good thing because I don't think it would be along to succeed long term
2: Adam are you buying this thing uh yes I'm buying it through a uh, DCBS so I got the first one a couple weeks ago and I really really liked it so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna pick it up as I go I mean th- that's good stuff I mean like if I get you know a couple copies of each one you know I can use that in the classroom and stuff later on I'm obviously not going to be saving it but I've had a lot of friends on Facebook and stuff ask me for copies of it too so you know that gets them into the comic store and you know lets me mail stuff across the country to You know, friends I haven't talked to and friends that haven't read comics for a while. So, well, I'll look at it this way. I don't think that you dislike Wednesday Comics, John. I think that you just don't get why some people are crazy, crazy about it. You know what I mean? I I I
4: don't dislike it, but I feel no need to buy it weekly when the collected edition is going to be on better paper in a regular format and I can read the whole story at once instead of – eight panels
2: at a time. You know,
3: or, I'm going to be interesting the, in the uh, collected edition. I'm looking forward to the dollar bins. That's where I'm going to get the rest of them.
2: The and dude I, said in San Diego that he wants this to be collected in a Little Nemo format. And, you know, those books are pretty huge. I mean, if you look at the Popeye stuff that, that's come out in recent years, too.
3: Oh, they finally did announce in San Diego how they're about that? a,
2: That's what he said he wants it to be. He on, wants it that, to be. That, so that's up to Bob Wayne, who's in charge of publishing sure, and yeah. stuff.
4: So. All right, well, thanks for letting me get that off my chest, so we can do Captain America if you want now. <laughs> All
2: right. Oh, and I have one, before we start, I got one little thing. I posted this in the forums, but if anybody knows where to buy the Green Lantern figures from San Diego Comic-Con, Adam with, with at or, with,
3: with or without <laughs> a major premium.
2: <laughs> yeah, seriously, if you guys know where to snag the Green Lantern figures from San Diego Comic-Con, Give me a shout at adam at legionofdudes.com because –
4: I'm sure a 1000 bucks in an eBay account will get you them. It's my sickness. <laughs> <laughs> Buy a lot of Blu-rays with that figure money.
1: Let's not so so to I forget fun. to talk about uh, next week, gentlemen. At, like, a, like what,
3: three days away as this airs? That's crazy. It's here already.
1: I'm just wondering how our listeners are going to be able to uh, have the room to take care of all these prizes that we have to give away. We have too many prizes. It's just crazy. The list keeps growing.
3: It's unbelievable what we have going on here, John. What were some of the prizes we have? I mean, we've got DVDs, we've got you know Terminator books, we've got a lot of stuff. What do you What do you have?
4: We have uh, Titan books, Terminator stuff. We have Magnolia Films DVDs and Blu-ray. We have Top Cow donated a bunch of trades and hardcovers. Xenoscope donated a bunch of trades and hardcover. Uh, we have really big hardcover that we kind of, do we want to say what that is? The big... Uh...
3: You know, we've been teasing this big hardcover for a couple weeks and we've never said what it was. Should we say what it is right now? Go ahead. I'm holding it right here. No, why not. All right. um, still shrink wrap, mind you. I have resisted temptation to this point, so I have to last three more days to open this thing up and read it. Kurt Busiek, Alex Ross, Marvel's 10th Anniversary Edition hardcover. So, we're looking at this, I called Russ, I'm like, Russ, how about this? He's like, yeah, I get that. So we've got this to, uh, to give away to a lucky winner on Sunday, August 2nd at 9 p.m. Very cool. Join us on Stick'Em. Stick'Em. Go to live.legionofdudes.com to get all the details on, on the event. Big, The best way and the best chance to win a prize from us is to call in on our voicemail line, which is, of course, 516-468-7912. You know, of course, just listen in and watch the proceedings live, right on Stickham, live.legionofdudes.com.
1: You can also leave questions for us for episode uh, 50, Extravaganza, on uh, the comicforums.com and our and into our forum, the uh, half hour Wasted Legion of Dudes forum, and uh, leave us some questions for the dudes to answer on our 50th uh, episode. Congratulations, guys.
3: Yeah, we're going to get to as many of those forum questions as we can. Um, we're going to... Spend hopefully spend more of our time on the phone with you guys as possible, um, but when we're waiting for calls, we're going to pull out some of those questions. And uh, if you send send a question on the forums, your name will go into a drawing to win one of those prizes. But again, increase your chances by calling in yourself.
1: Sweet. It'll be a hoot and a holler. and Then we'll self
4: destruct and kick somebody out of the group. Somebody will die of alcohol poisoning. Yeah. You could say that you were there before it went down. We ready to do some Captain America?
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess we'll get into it. So I thought we'd start a little bit and just talk about a little history behind Cap. Maybe we can talk about our favorite stories or things we remember. I don't know if everybody's read Cap too much in the past. I know most of us are reading them, you know, have been reading it since the Baker run, or at least since the death when all the hype happened. But I'll give a little background. Of course, everybody knows Captain America was created in 1941. Um, it was released as Captain America Comics number 1 from Timely, created by Jeff Simon and Jack Kirby, and it ran pretty much throughout the war and then after the war was over it kind of kind of fell out of favor you know as most superhero comics did at that time so it was then kind of resurrected back when you know Marvel kind of started up in the early 60s and the Avengers came about it started up actually took over from Tales of Suspense which Cap was co-featured with Iron Man starting with number 59 and then his it actually the title actually became Captain America with issue 100 and continued on through issue 454 in August of 1996. So for 354 issues, 355 issues, I guess I should say, it was an actual Captain America title, and then prior to that it was Tales of Suspense, but Cap um, had a big run of appearances in that book, along with Iron Man. The biggest run, single creator, really, on that book was Mark Grunwald, the ex-editor, um, the late Mark Grunwald, I should say who was writer um, on the book from 307 to 443, and then he was the editor prior to that. So he had a great run of issues. These were most of these in the uh, 80s and then early 90s. I read a lot of these books. Um, The first cap issue I have actually is, well, actually, I think I have one more from from in the 200s, but I I had a stretch of issues starting with 307, um, and I just thought the writing was excellent. And Grunewald brought a really you know, more realistic, I guess, approach with Cap and, and got into a lot of, you know, a lot of his interactions with, you know, the government and politics and how he thought, you know, thought about his role and things like that. Brought in kind of the scourge, the scourge of the underworld character was involved in that as well. So I I, I really liked Grumwald's run. And, uh, you know, as I go back to shoe diving, I've, I've decided I want to try and, try and complete out that run of those of those issues because there's just a lot of really, really good stories in there. So that lasted until '96 and then we have the the infamous or famous i guess depending on how you talk about how you like to talk about it but volume 2 of cap was really the heroes reborn arc and it lasted for 13 issues and i don't know if you guys are familiar with the heroes reborn and that whole that whole thing i don't know if you guys were reading the comics back then but it actually started out of an x-men event um, called onslaught and onslaught was the reason fractured. I
2: left comics for about five years.
0: <laughs> yeah. Onslaught was like the fractured personality of Charles Xavier and a merge of Xavier and Magneto, and he formed this entity called Onslaught, which was this huge purple and pink-colored armored creature, and all the heroes ended up fighting, and you know it, it, it culminated with the Fantastic Four and the Avengers basically disappearing at the end of that fight as they defeated Onslaught. And what ended up happening was all the heroes didn't die. They were transported to Franklin Richard's pocket universe. And then the intent was for those heroes, for them, basically, it was almost kind of like the the first attempt at the ultimate line. There were a lot of concepts that ended up kind of making it, you know, into the ultimate line where things were modernized and updated to make it a little more palatable for, for modern audiences. So they... They tweaked Cap's origin a bit. Iron Man was made a lot more futuristic and updated. Fantastic Four, you know, the the origin, while basically the same, had a lot more modern elements to it. It wasn't as far-fetched as a bunch of adventurers, you know, sneaking onto a rocket and getting away. But the interesting thing about it was, and this was, I guess, at the height of the kind of the Marvel bankruptcy crisis thing going on in the late 90s, was Marvel actually farmed out the production of this of those four titles and the properties themselves to Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld. So and I didn't realize it was it was quite that formal of a relationship, but basically Jim Lee took Iron Man and the Fantastic Four and developed them through Wildstorm and they were, you know, published and released through Marvel, but they were actually Wildstorm books. And then Liefeld took Cap and the Avengers and and they were done through his Extreme Studios. So after six issues, Marvel kind of saw the uptick in in the sales because they actually were, at the time were fairly popular, and they tried to renegotiate their contract. And Liefeld basically had enough and walked away. And Jim Lee decided to to cave in and and you know take the renegotiation um, and continue on. And then Walt Simonson actually came in to finish up the Avengers. So I particularly wasn't a big fan of Liefeld's art on Cap. I don't know. It, I'm I'm not a huge Liefeld fan to begin with, but. The way he portrayed Cap, and the way that book was drawn, wasn't um, really big for me. Um, I've got most of those issues. I've got actually most of all the Heroes Born issues.
3: Excuse um, me, Russ. Is that yeah. where that is that where that now infamous shot, uh, shot of Cap came from that the Life drew? The one where he basically gave him a uh, boob job.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I'm not sure if that was Heroes Were Born or not. I can't. I, I don't recall. I think so because that was that was the last. Well, other than the Heroes, the redoing that he did. Uh, recently with Jeff Loeb, but yeah, I think I think that is that is where it, it came from. Yeah. I just remember that cover to issue one, and just the way he draws faces. It just I don't know, like there's too many yeah. lines, too many lines on the face.
2: I've never heard of it, but I'm looking at it right now. We'll put it on the forum. It's it's pretty hilarious.
4: <laughs> yeah, Heroes Reborn did not go well.
0: No, it, you know it's funny. It, it kind of started off well, but didn't it didn't end well. And then, if, you know, finally all, you know, like most things do, they, you know, they, they got back to, to the Marvel proper, which started Volume 3, which was Hero's Return. And Mark Wade actually started off that run, and Dan Jurgens had a pretty good run on it, and that lasted for 50 issues. Then we got Volume 4, and John Cassidy did a lot of covers on that one. Dave Gibbons did a little bit of writing on, on that arc. And then Robert Kirkman actually wrote the last arc for that Volume 4 book. And Volume 4 ended with the Disassembled, the disassembled arc in the Cap book, which directly tied into the disassembled of the Avengers. Now, I didn't read the Cap disassembled. I don't know, did you, you guys read any of the disassembled stuff? The Avengers disassembled.
4: I read the Avengers uh, main book, and I read I, I read Thor. I wasn't even I wasn't
3: even reading comics at that point when all that was going on. So no, yeah, no, I'm,
1: neither was I. But I had picked those up in trade. Okay, after just the disassembled thing, really, like. I mean, you see it going into Brubaker's run. How disconnected Cap is. Here's the uh, you know, They're the ones that found him, the Avengers, in the in the uh, you know frozen in the ocean to begin with. They've been his family and his home ever since he you know was brought into the Silver Age. And after disassembled, all that's taken away. It's all gone. And that's why we see a little edgier, a little harder edge Cap as Brubaker begins his story. Yeah,
0: and the you know kind of the the main. You know crux for is not familiar with the disassembled, and this kind of leads into the some of the i guess the uncertainty and some of the you know turmoil that cap is under when the you know when the Baker arc start started was there were all these kind of bizarre attacks and things going on. Um, with the Avengers and those around them. Hawkeye, you know, spoiler alert for everybody, by the way. Hawkeye was killed off, and in the end, with all this bizarre... There were alien invasion and all this bizarre stuff going on, and in the end, it turned out that the Scarlet Witch was behind the whole thing. And basically, she just kind of flipped out at the death of her children, quote-unquote death. Um, And it turns out that her children, the way they kind of... It's kind of a retcon of a bit. The way they handled it was the children were... Created by the Scarlet Witch um, as magic, she did, it, well, they weren't naturally you know born twins at, you know kind of as we were led to believe. So she created them out of magic, and then they kind of disappeared and went, and went away. So after in the aftermath of this all and the Scarlet Witch you know causing so much havoc and all of the physical damage and everything, Tony decided that you know it was time that the Avengers just just dis- you know ba- basically disbanded, disassembled, and then you know we got and that was kind of Bendis's start. But, you know, it's kind of funny. Bendis started on the Avengers by destroying the Avengers. Um, and then, you know, we started out with New Avengers mm-hmm. came about, which directly leads us into the, the you know, Brubaker and that thing, um taking it over.
3: Yeah, and that's where I, uh, I I joined in. It was really, it was Spider-Man's inclusion that even got me to pick up New Avengers because, you know, I was starting to read Spider-Man and a few other things at that point, um, but I wasn't really interested in, in the Avengers in general. But when I heard Spider-Man was going to be part of the team, um, I started I started reading it at that point. And that was also the only Cap fix I got. I wasn't reading Cap's individual title at that point. So I missed all of the, the a lot of stuff we're going to talk about today, I wasn't even close to reading.
4: Yeah, you know, I think we probably got back in about the same time. I think, I think we did. I think I definitely was picking up New Avengers from issue one. And I think I tried to start up Cap. I'm going to say Cap was like four or five issues in at that point. And I couldn't find the back issues and I guess I was too lazy or didn't think to like, oh, I'll just start picking it up in trade or if I even knew that trades came out regularly for all titles at that point. So then I just kind of gave up and I stumbled back on it for 25 out of like real luck.
1: And then I just went back and bought all the stuff. The funny thing for me is my real attachment to the character came when I was a little kid. In the 70s, um, Jack Kirby came back to Marvel after uh, doing the New Gods for DC and uh, did a run on Cap. It's uh, Captain America and the Falcon. And uh, he, I, you know, I'd never seen art like that before, and it really kind of blew me away. Plus, I mean, here's a black superhero. It doesn't have the adjective black in his name. He's just the Falcon. I thought that was really cool. And uh, that's one, you know, pretty much the extent of my cap knowledge. Other than you know being an Avengers fan for as long as I have been.
3: You know, Drew, it's funny you mentioned that. I um, I wasn't reading a lot of comics um, at that point, but one of the um, older comics I have, and I remember I had this since I was a, was a boy. This is from like 1976. Marvel Double Feature, and I just thought it was funny looking back at this now because of all the uh, backups we're seeing now with uh, comics and the co features and that. It's called Marvel Double Feature. Starring Captain America and Iron Man, Stan the Man Lee and Jack King Kirby. And this is the one, uh, issue 19, it looks like. Uh, from this moment on, Captain America lives no more, time to die. And it's just, you know, a 32-page comic, half is Captain America, half is Iron Man. And uh, this is probably one of the first comics I've ever owned, and I, I still have it. It's pretty well beat up, but it's a, uh, it's a reader copy to be sure. But it's, it's one of the first ones I ever touched.
2: Hey Jim, can you tell us like uh, the story about your Captain America page that you have, real quick?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, my uh, one of my good friends is uh, Joe Wos, who uh, runs the uh, Toonzieum, and uh, the wedding gift that he gave my wife and I is an original Jack Kirby page from uh, his run in the seventies on uh, on Captain America. It's a flashback of him and Bucky, and uh, it's signed too. It's probably the most. So I don't know. It's my big. I, I, it's my biggest geek treasure of all, you know, but. Uh,
4: that's pretty awesome. I remember the cartoon too. I don't know when it was. I, I guess it came out in the '60s, maybe late '60s, when all those Marvel cartoons were coming out. But I remember watching them as a kid with the with the corny uh, with the corny theme song that I will try very hard to work into the intro for this show. Uh, so maybe you've just heard it, but um, but that was a really good. That, that was probably my first exposure to Cap. Like even when I wasn't reading it, I knew that he was the coolest Avenger.
1: He was a super, uh, super central and essential in um, the the Busiek and Perez uh, run of the Avengers two uh, previous to Avengers Disassembled. It just, uh, I mean, he's he's the rock of the, the Marvel universe. If you think about it, he's, I mean, he's the as Batman, you know, the most skilled fighter in the in the DCU. I'd have to say Cap is probably the most skilled fighter in the Marvel U. And um, it's cool. We were just talking about Green Lantern and how um, this was retcon done right. You know, you take a character and you go back to the past. You don't change things, but you tweak them here and there. And uh, as an overview, we see Brubaker do the same thing with Cap, with the flashbacks and the uh, the different uh, uh, scenes. But the one uh, the one uh, issue in particular where he gets finally gets the file on uh, the Winter Soldier, um, things like that. He's doing the same kind of thing Jeff Johns is, but in more uh, you know in, in his flashbacks and in just you know the mind of the character himself. So it's interesting that we went from from GL to this because it's the same uh, kind of uh, job being done on Cap.
3: Let me make a quick question on that point. The current series right now in Captain America is dealing with uh, the aftermath of uh, 25 and you know, the return of Captain America and that. The companion title, Cap, uh, Captain America Reborn, um, we've been hearing a little bit so on the Internet here and there about, oh, they're just taken from uh, Rebirth over at DC between Green Lantern and now Flash. Ross, or anybody, it seems to me more likely, uh, what do you think, that it's that old Heroes Reborn and the fact that Reborn's already been tied to Cap and the Avengers and to some degree, which is why they chose that, that title for this, This and, and not so much a dig at, at DC. Coincidentally, it's, sure, it's funny, but it just seems more likely that it's just a nod to the past. Would anybody agree or disagree?
0: Yeah, I mean, Cap was created in, you know, what is it, Operation Rebirth. Right. So if they really wanted to stay true to Cap and what he was you know, 65 years ago, they would have called it Cap Rebirth. But I think, I think with the familiarity and the and the closeness of what DC is doing with Green Lantern and Flash, I think it was smart to move away from that because I think people have short memory. And and to me, I think, you know, I, I mean, I don't think anybody's really ripping or or stealing from anybody else. I mean, it's you know, it's it's what it is, right. but. You know, I mean, if, you, if you're if you going to get technical, I think the rebirth thing is more fitting for Cap than it is even for Flash or Green Lantern.
3: Yeah, but even think. even so, the term reborn seems to be already tied, so it's not like it's out of left field or, or whatever. It's already right. connected to him in some way. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. I just feel I need to acknowledge that, but thanks.
0: No problem. So, I guess we'll get into the omnibus proper, what we'll talk about here at the first 25, but tonight we're just going to be discussing, you know, basically what amounts to issues 1 through 14, which is the beginning up until the, the actual arc called Winter Soldier, um, which was six issues that takes you through 14. So the first arc is called Out of Time, which is pretty relevant to what's going on. again, given what's happened in, in Disassembled, Cap is a little off-kilter, as this starts and, and really Drew Baker starts to get back to the roots of Cap ties and, and the folks that he's, he's come in contact with over the years. It's very tied to S.H.I.E.L.D., to Fury, to Sharon Carter, to um, Sam Wilson, the Falcon, to of course the Red Skull, and then Crossbones. Um, so, you know, his big his big villains and his big hero allies are all accounted for as we start this new series. First off, I, I just want to mention the, the art. I think the art is... Is outstanding when Efting is on it, and even even when Efting is off. One of the things that for me, and I, I, I just noticed this recently as as the book has kind of shifted artists around a little bit in the later issues, without acting on the art, but Frankie Armada on the colors. And I think he, to me, and that, you know, I'm not a huge art guy and don't know a ton kind of stuff, of, you know, about art, but to me, it seems that's what's really keeping this book and giving it, it its consistency is this kind of, it's almost kind of like, I guess, a somewhat painted style, or the way he's done the art, or the coloring. So to me, even when Epting isn't on the book as pencils, it seems to me that it it stays fairly consistent
1: um, across the board, and and to me, I credit that right or wrongly to Frankie Armada and the colors. I get a real Brent Anderson vibe from Steve Epting, too, that kind of, like, real attention to fine line and detail, and lighting, and uh, the same thing, I again, uh, I, I Brian Anderson really comes to mind as, as the master of that. And Epton really has a good grasp on it as well.
4: And I totally agree with your point about, you know, Brubaker going back to the basics with Cap. And I think the first page of issue one is like perfect. It's it's another example. Again, we're going to parallel Jeff Johns a lot, I think, when we talk about Brubaker and Captain America. But, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like what Johns did with Green Lantern. Like he sums everything up in a page, but the last panel keeps it moving forward. And it's Red Skull, and you know what you're in for. You know, the panels before that have Hawkeye dead, A- Avengers disbanded in the newspaper, and the narrative by Red Skull kind of catches you up to speed that Captain America is not right, and he's been watching him and waiting for this moment, you know, to strike. And I think it really set the tone well, and new readers, you know, jump aboard right here.
0: Yeah, it's extremely new reader friendly. Extremely. So the, we we kind of started out with the the first issue, and like John was saying, right off the bat, we see that the the, the Red Skull is up front and in effect. And what we'll see a lot in in Brubaker's style in this book is a lot of flashbacks um, to tell the story. So you'll get hints of what's going on in the in the present day dialogue, and then we'll flash back to five years, ten years, sixty you know years, a week, a day, you know, all that. So it's a very he uses a lot of flashback in his storytelling to flesh out what he's hinting at, and I think it works very, very well. gives it gives you a real complete picture of of what's really going on. And so, so right off the bat, we see the the Russian, I guess the Russian hero, Red Red Guardian, and he has introduced us to a new a new character called Alexander Lukin, who's an ex KGB arms dealer, and we'll see as as things progress um, a little bit more about his origin and where he comes from. But we see that. He's been working with the Red Skull, and at the end of this exchange here, we get you know hints of uh, what's going on with Winter. You know where we can see. Uh, you know again, we'll, we'll kind of spoil this ahead of time since you know this is this is what we're talking about. But you know we see as as Lucan and and the Skull are talking, there's a you know a canister in the background and a figure with a robotic arm or rope, uh, there with the Skull, and, and we'll come to find out that. Uh, that that's the Winter Soldier, and Lucan even offers to uh, trade the cube for, for the Winter Soldier. That's how much he values, you know, where he thinks that would be an almost equal trade to have that, that object. And we, as we all know, the, the skull is kind of infatuated with the Cosmic Cube, always wanting to, to, to own it and use it to, to foil his nemesis.
4: I, I think he, he uh, you know, looking back, now that you know what happens at the end, can really appreciate rereading and seeing how Brubaker... Has been laying the groundwork for these events since the beginning, you know. Like you said, just Sharon Carter being central right off the bat, and uh, and you know, given the little hints of the of the robotic armor, you know, he's really he's really laying the groundwork. And I think he can really appreciate it going back and reading a second time.
0: Oh yeah, most definitely. All the all the seeds are planted. You know, again, like we you know when we talk about Jeff John, same same kind of thing. There's there's a plan. Um, and it's it's definitely laid out. One of the one of the things art wise, I'm uh, I've noticed when reading this is if you look at page, I, I guess it's page eight. Kind of, they're not numbered, so I'm kind of having to count. But it's 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 the page right after they kind of allude to Winter Soldier being in the background. You'll see the bottom panel is like this widescreen panel, and you see a close-up of the skull on the right hand side and his teeth and just all that detail on the bottom of his mouth and everything. That just I don't I, To me, that always just uh, looking at that, it just strikes me. It's very, just very creepy, very detailed. Um, the way he draws the skull is just, I've never, I haven't seen the skull portrayed this way um, in comics ever. You know, almost half the time it, it comes, you know, the fact that there's a, you know, a red, you know, he's got a red skull on top of his head comes
1: off a little goofy sometimes, but. Or it looks like crazy. he's wearing a mask.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah, it's
1: yeah. Like an actual skull, you know. I mean. Yeah. I think it makes it much more um, intimidating, too, the way he's portrayed um, as actually just having a skull for a head as opposed to the traditional way we've seen it it kind of looks like a mask. I think uh, something that Brubaker did was very smart was to make this new cap uh, pretty much a spy story. You know, it's not really, you know, it's not, you know, cosmic. He's fighting super villains, but they're, they're villains that are from his rogue's gallery that move in his circles. and it's very much uh, got that born identity kind of flavor to it um, as far as you know the, the fast pace, the, the double dealing, the layers within layers, plans within plans. And I think it was a smart choice for Baker to go that route and make it more of an espionage tale.
3: Just a quick question for, uh, from the new guy here, because uh, I, again, I haven't read this past or previous to 25. Uh, now this is the real Red Skull at this point, right? Because I remember when uh, Jim, when you mentioned wearing a mask and that the the later issues I've read, not to give too much away, but you know, we're going to get there eventually. It is a guy with a mask. It's not. It, it's the Red Skull's spirit, or essence, or soul in another person. So is this at this, this point?
1: This this Red Skull is actually um, the original Red Skull, but I believe in a clone of Steve Rogers' body. I mean, we find yeah. out in a scene later because you get a DNA sample from Cap, not to spoil a head or whatever, but when they find the Red Skull, and they have to uh, uh, check it against Cap's DNA to make sure it's really him.
3: Okay, but this is an actual Red Skull, though. This isn't a mask because, like I said, it, it is a mask later on
1: because no, it's a different this person. this is an actual skull.
4: Okay. And what an ending to the first issue. You know, if, you, if you're feeling like, you know, I was excited to see the Red Skull in this new kind of portrayal you know, not goose-stepping and, and goofy, because that's the last way I remember him. And so if you, if, even if you weren't excited about this new version of the Red Skull, and some people might have been saying, oh, here we go, same old Captain America, Red Skull again. I mean, here he is shot on the last page. So again, it, it's something for everyone. You know, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that came to me, that came totally out of left field. Again, to do that in the first issue, wasn't expecting that at all.
4: No, it's kind of like a heads-up, it gives you that Sopranos feeling like it's a heads up in terms of like, anybody can die at any time. So pay attention.
0: Yeah. Well, then the the whole concept too of the, of him having the cosmic cube, but the cube is flawed. You know, it's, it's not a, at this point, it's not a complete cosmic cube, which, you know, who knows what kind of havoc um, you could wreak with a, with a mostly complete cosmic cube. But again, I thought that was, that was a, a neat choice too, was to start it off with, you know, with the skull basically having his object, but not having his object.
4: And is there any background? Did he just kind of pick this up out of the blue, or do we know what happened to the cube or where the red skull was? He alludes to being in a cell for a certain amount of time. So was he caught somewhere, or did Brubaker just kind of leave that out and get to...
0: I'm not sure. You know, uh, unfortunately, I haven't read any, you know, it's been a while since I've read Cap with any kind of regularity. So as far as exactly where the Red Skull was up to this point and what's been going on, I'm not sure. I'm assuming that, you know, Noah Brubaker, he's pulling something from what led directly up to this or what the previous encounter was with the Red Skull and and moving forward with that. As we move forward and move on to, to issue two, we see that uh, you know, again, Bru Baker's gonna take something old and twist it around a little bit and we see in the you know, kind of in the sewers of Manhattan there's a new there's kinda like the new kids on the block, which is AID. AID, which is advanced idea destruction, which is a little different than what we you know, they're kind of an offshoot of AIM, which is advanced idea mechanics, which is the guys in the in the funny hats with the you know, with the with the mesh over the over the front that been running around in the Marvel universe for the past 40 years, so this is you know they're more a little more high tech, a little more on destructive weapons and you know kind of WMDs and that that kind of thing. Um, a little more, I guess, higher tech than even AIM is. And then we see them kind of skulking around in the in the sewers. We get our our first glimpses here of Crossbones, who is the old Cap villain as well. Who grew um, another? This is a Grunewald creation from the '80s, and he he doesn't have any superpowers. He's just kind of a big guy, master combatant, and somebody who's kind of played Cap over the years since he's been um, introduced into into Marvel continuity. He's had run-ins with Daredevil and some of the other characters.
2: This guy's pretty cool. He kind of reminds me of like uh, Bane meets Deadshot from the Suicide Squad. It's pretty yeah. cool character and it it
0: really hits it home later on when we'll see you know crossbones when he fights cap that you know he doesn't have any superpowers and yet he's, he's you know he's always been able to kind of hold his own for the most part against cap even though he's not he's not superpowered at all
4: and this um, seems to be like a renewed persona for him as well right like kind of like what he yeah. did with the red skull he's more intimidating and a you know definitely a bigger threat than uh when he was used in the past
0: yeah, and it's kind of like what we'll see, you know, later on with Matt the Leaper. You know, he's going to come in and and be a lot more interesting than kind of the the goofy, silly character that you know he was, you know, when they was used in the in the '80s as well.
4: I Love the black and white flashbacks. Sorry. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, I I, know, I love how they they do that. And then the, you can even see kind of the art style. It seems to you know changes up a, you know a little bit where it's, it's a lot more in that simpler. Style—the more, uh, I guess, almost a more cartoony style when they when they flash back a lot. And you know, I don't know if the color—you know—the the black and white has a little bit to do with that. But even later on, we'll see that on color pages where when they do the flashback, it's decidedly different art style than than with the current tale. But we see that that Cap is having these visions and these dreams of what's going on, but he's remembering things, and 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 that's not the way they happened. And this is going to you know continue on. You know, as as this book goes on, where he's, it's almost like he's he's kind of cracking up, and you know, Fury even uh, starts to suspect that maybe it's causing him some grief, and you know, until the Winter Soldier kind of comes into the into the picture, Steve is almost a suspect in in some of what's going on around, you know, with people being assassinated and killed and things like that. It, it's it's kind of put everybody on on edge, um, and causing Cap to be a little more quiet and subdued and distracted than he normally is his, you know, focused, um, alert self.
1: It's, uh, it's cool that uh, Brubaker plays up this aspect in the out-of-time arc that, you know, for Steve Rogers, the 40s were just a few weeks ago because he, he was uh, in suspended animation for the entire, you know, for the long time that he was. And uh, him flashing back to that would be like us remembering a month or two ago. So, I mean, it really emphasizes that Cap is a man of two times, and how haunted he really is about um, the people that he's lost along the way, and a lot, you know, the mistakes that he's made. And I think that really just underscores everything that happens in the Winter Soldier arc. Yeah.
0: So this is where we get to where we were talking about earlier too, about them using um, Cap's DNA. So they kind of brought him in there, and he knows right away why, you know, why he's there because they need a DNA sample to ensure that it really is the skull and that he's dead. And again, Fury seems a little suspect of, you know, his his motivation, but. You know, again, we get this almost, as Jim mentioned, this spy thriller espionage aspect to it to where, you know, it's all about uncovering clues and a a bigger plot and mystery and Cap trying to work on one angle, Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. trying to work on another angle to try and solve exactly what's going on. Because right off the bat, we know that, okay, the skull seemed to be behind uh, what was coming up, but now that he's out of the picture, which means there's even somebody bigger or something bigger behind it all. So we get we get kind of an interesting, again, another black and white flashback of, you know, Steve's kind of indoctrination as to the Red Skull and, you know, what he means and who he is and, and, you know, where he kind of gets his mission to go after him.
2: I got a quick question here. Has Bucky ever come back in continuity? I mean, I know, like, there have been a lot of, like, uh, World War II cap stories, but even in the absence of Barry Allen, you know, who obviously has just come back in Final Crisis, Barry's appeared a couple times in, like, uh, Impulse Comics and in the flash comics as well. So like is there a precedent for bucky ever popping back into continuity that any of you guys know of
1: other than no. flashbacks? Now. That was the thing at Marvel that was like the one solid rule was that bucky stayed dead. That was the joke forever and <laughs> ever and then, then we got uh, Yeah, Uncle
3: right? Ben and yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean
0: that was always a that was always a term. You know, people would say he bucky dead.
3: Yeah.
4: I like the use of the Nazi stuff in this flashback. It's just, I mean, it's not it's nothing new, but it's redone in that more serious tone, which we seem to be going back to over and over again with this book. But, you you know, you think of the Red Skull and Hitler and you think of like the goofy covers of like Captain America punching Hitler in the face and stuff. But this is definitely like a more serious World War Two tone for the use in this volume.
2: Right and Marvel's really you know played up World war II, uh, i think to a lot more success than uh d c has i mean even that the, even though that you know Jay Garrick and allen and everybody else in the j s a uh you know took Hitler down you know as the d c timeline goes that it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Marvel kind of does it better with cap versus the germans, i mean especially in the ultimates too
1: yeah. I was just going to say, in the, uh, the the late 70s and early 80s, on the Marvel side we had the Invaders comic with uh, World War II Cap, and on the DC side we had All-Star Squadron with the World War II heroes as well. So, I mean, they were both pretty popular when I was a little kid reading comics.
0: Yeah, I always like all the Invaders stories. I know they've tried to bring that book back many times, and it never seems to catch on. I, I think the latest, not to get too far off track, but the latest is Avengers Invaders. It was a pretty cool story. I think it, it brought up a lot of a lot of these things, it, I think, it fed off of what Drew Baker's doing with Bucky, and and we'll we'll see this a little later on, making him a more serious character, and not just a goofy sidekick, and that he actually does have some skill, and that he you know he's he's got a bit of an attitude, and he's not just the you know the goofy kid that that follows behind Cap to snap pictures or whatnot. So we see that Cap and Sharon are kind of underneath the sewers because they they've seen the tra- the transmitter in the apartment where the Skull was killed, and they're trying to track it down, and then that's when Cap and Sharon and S.H.I.E.L.D. uh, end up finding out about what AID is and that they're an offshoot of AIM and trying to get some information off of them. Crossbones is kind of sitting in the background just kind of watching it all happen, and then Cap realizes that whatever it is this thing needs, it doesn't matter, you know, if they figure out how to shut it down, everything needs power, so Cap decides, okay, we'll just cut the power to it, and that should at least stop it. Um, and meanwhile, back at the at the apartment, this last container that they saw, Fury is able to run some sort of test on it, thermal scan, and they find out that it's a cosmic cube and that it is missing. So then at the very end of, of this one, we get crossbones coming out of the sewer, takes his mask off, and, you know, kind of relaying to whoever it is he's talking to at this point, we don't know that the skull is dead and that, you know, this part of the, the plan is... Uh, no good and that they should move on to to what's going on in Paris and the other location.
4: There's some interesting things going on here, you know, in the undertones. You have um, Captain America, he has a line somewhere here when they're in the apartment with Fury. Um, He's kind of like staring off and I guess Sharon uh, approaches him and asks him what's wrong and he Cap says something to the effect of, you know, I was created because of the Red Skull. Um, and it's done with in the background. You could see the Red Skull's chalk line on the floor with the blood. It's kind of like a Batman and Joker moment. They mm-hmm. kind of, there's this parallel or there's a connection between these two characters, you know. And Red Skull's a clone of Steve, and, and Steve was created to stop the Red Skull. So you have that kind of undertone going on. And then you also have the fact that when Steve and Sharon head down into the sewers by themselves, Steve confronts Sharon saying, you know, I know you and Fury are up to something. I can see the way you guys are looking at each other. And Sharon kind of comes true that Fury thinks that Steve might be the one who killed the Red Skull and that Steve is hiding it. So you have some interesting, like, undertones to the story.
0: And again, it kind of plays into that whole espionage, you know, thriller concept where you know that's you know what happens in the spy, in, you know, typically in spy movies is everybody starts to distrust everybody as to you know what's going on, and and everybody's trying to get at the
1: truth. Plus, I mean, if Brubaker is willing to kill off you know Captain America's main villain in the very first issue of his run, I mean, it wouldn't be too far out of line to think that he could have had Cap be the killer as well. I mean, somebody to do something so ostentatious in their first issue of their run, it could be up in the air. I mean, we don't really know at this point if Cap did kill the Red Skull.
4: Right. And the way they kind of act in him, they have him acting kind of nutty in the beginning, it's almost like you start wondering if it's kinda of like a schizophrenic type thing, like he did it and he doesn't remember. You know, because they have the whole thing where his memories are different, they're not the way he remembers things happening. So you, you get that feel that maybe it could have been him and he doesn't know.
0: And then with the whole, you know, concept of the cosmic cube, you know, in the back of, of my mind as I'm reading this, it's okay, is, is he being manipulated specifically? where the cube is either manipulating him to kind of fuzzy up his memories or, you know, what's really going on. As we roll on to issue three, again, it kind of, you know, we kind of get, get this concept of there's something not right with Steve, and Sharon starts to point it out. You know, Cap has another flashback of a memory of, you know, of himself being shot. This time we've got Baron Zemo into the mix. So, again, another one of those old-timey villains from the World War II era that Brubaker has decided to bring in to the fold. And again, the memory is not as Cap remembered. Um, and it's you know again, it's causing him to kind of space out. So it just kind of accentuates what we've been talking about, where you know, this craziness is, is, is going on, and he feels like he's losing his mind, and those around him are, are a little distrusting of him. So they kind of moved on to London. That's kind of the next spot um, where they think this, this terrorist, this bombing is going to take place. They find more of these aid agents that have kind of bit the dust and then we get on, I guess it page 10 on Issue 3. I love the the and I, I can't recall that I've seen this um, lately, but we get back to the concept of Nick Fury's flying car, and I just thought that was just too cool to, to see what looks like, I guess, a standard Porsche with the wheels flipped down, and, and we get back to the flying yeah. car. We're,
1: so we're almost there.
4: I'm telling you they're coming for real.
1: <laughs> um,
4: and since you mentioned that sequence, I guess, You never get tired of Cap diving out of things in the air.
0: Nope. With the shield on his back.
4: Right. That's just like an iconic image of him jumping out of planes, helicopters, anything that's in the air. And he takes that dive and lands like with the forward roll and keeps running.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
3: I just noticed, did did he have that belt of pouches on earlier panels in your other books or just in this panel?
2: I think that's from Liefeld's run, all those pouches. I know, but he's actually got them on. That's what's just killing me. Yeah, no, he kind of sort of does
0: in, earlier on, you know, but it's just standard belt. And then, yeah, you, you see it later on. More, you know, It's more, become more synonymous with the ultimate you know, version. I like the pouches personally.
4: It's funny because he doesn't shoot a gun and he doesn't use a knife. You know, like, what's in the pouches? a fruit roll-up. You know, like, I don't, I don't know. It's not, like, it's not
3: like Batman, where he's got, like, right,
4: you know, right. everything. He's not shooting smoke bombs at anybody or anything. <laughs> I mean, he really just is hand-to-hand combat and the shield.
0: Well, according to page 12, it's some sort of uh, proximity mine or something like that that he pulls out of that pouch and sticks on that wider oh, yeah. that he cracked. Oh, yeah, look nice. at that. Yeah, he,
3: he's actually reaching in there. There
0: All you right. go. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
3: Into the swan Which dive again, off, off the uh, explosion.
0: Yeah. Which, again, you know, this... You, you know, they're a little concerned about cap and this is something that's almost very non cap like, where he's crashed this, you know, thing onto, you know, regular cars in the middle of a London street, um, in the middle of the day.
3: Yeah, almost um, almost so unconcerned having, about that. He's more interested in stopping them than the collateral damage.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is very like I said, very uncap like. So I think it's it's gonna feed into to their you know, everybody's questioning and the, him questioning himself, um, as you go on. And then, of course, we get the, the bucket heads, we get the AIM soldiers finally making their appearance, and they're kind of like a red herring. Uh, it turns out they're just here to um, reclaim their stolen aid property, and then Sharon meets up with him. And then they kind of have, you know, Sharon and, and Steve kind of share this moment in London on the street at, at the end of the issue, or towards the end of the issue. And then Cap, of course, has another flashback where he kind of relates, you know, what it was like being here. Well, I guess they're in Paris, but relaying what it was like um at towards the end of the war when they defeated the Germans and how he kind of associated himself with the you know, with the the French resistance and, and the good works that the, they were doing and all that. So it was just kind of a reflective moment that for those two. Moment for them to kind of just stop and get a little closer. Then of course we get another you know, this the end of issue three here is almost similar to the end of issue one. We take a long-standing Cap character. This time, we're just outside of Pittsburgh, Jim. Does that diner look familiar to you at all?
1: Uh, Not so much. No, sorry.
0: (laughs) Um, I guess it's a bar, not a diner. We see Jack Monroe having a beer. He steps outside. Somebody calls over to him, shoots him dead in the chest, throws him in the trunk of a car, and gone. So, again, we're three issues in, and and we've had two pretty long-standing Cap uh, characters, one a villain and one a hero, killed off at the end
1: of the issue plus we see this all building towards something we see red skull killed we see jack monroe killed in the next issue we see the graves desiccated of the other two men who had been captain america in steve rogers absence we know that someone this is a message for him you know and cap says something like that along the way too he's like no this was meant for me as a message for me you know because i mean who else would know these things know who these men were and and who else would care you know, the, uh, the nomad, I know we have good, we have an issue coming up with like the, um, the secret history of, or whatever, but it was a, uh, an identity that Cap took, uh, in the seventies, I think under the Roger Stern run before Grunewald took over, uh, where he had become disenfranchised with America and, uh, the people yeah. that ran it and uh, decided to take the flag off of his uniform. And he became the nomad, uh, basically traveling around the country, trying to find America. And, um, well, as we've seen in the upcoming issue, it didn't work out. That identity doesn't work out so well for the other Nomad.
0: Yeah. And he Jack Monroe's kind of had a bit of a convoluted retcon history, as we'll see. Um, that we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the, the, the... There's an issue that focuses on him, but you know, he's basically the, the Bucky of the, of the post-World War II era. And we'll get into to his issue coming up down the road here. But it, issue four starts, and Nomad has been revealed... As the killer of the Red Skull, they found the weapon used to assassinate the Red Skull, and it's got Jack Monroe's prints all over it. And there's, uh, at this point, Fury's wanting to keep it secret from Cap because of all the things that we've talked about over going on over the last few issues. You know, he's still a little distrusting, and I think he's still afraid that he's he acting like a bit of a loose cannon. And you know what will, you know, what he would do if he found out that, you know, hey, he wouldn't believe it, but you know, for him to find out if uh, that Jack was implicated, what that would do. To start the issue, we actually get a little bit of foreshadowing where we see Lucan and his assistant drive up to the Roxxon Oil building. And, you know, what we'll come to, to see is as Lucan's uh, corporation going to take over Roxxon Oil, which has been a big, you know, kind of one of the big players in the Marvel universe as far as corporate, you know, corporations go. You have Stark and Roxxon, and, you know, they're kind of the, the biggies um, that have been around for a long time.
4: I just wanted to say that um, for is the issue that was out when I took a look at Captain America. What I'm getting at is the cover of four was like amazing to me. I was just getting back into comics. Like I said, I just picked up like new Avengers and I was starting to get my feet wet and uh, I love the cover four with Cap standing over the gravestones. Um, Mm -hmm. And it made me really want to pick up the series and at this point you could not find one, two, and three. So I kind of fizzled on the idea of not being able to go back and reading the first three and picking it up at four. But um, great cover.
0: Yeah, there's a few in here that we'll point out as just being just really stunning covers, and I you know, I think it gets back to you know I think a cover can you know get you you know Ethan Bestskeiber talked a little bit about this on the Half Hour Wasted episode on his interview about being you know the emphasis and the focus of a cover and what it could do for a book, and I think I think in this um, in this series that's definitely true. We kind of move back you know getting back to four. We see Cap has shown up at Arlington National Cemetery and William Naslam and Jeffrey Mace, their graves have been desecrated. You know, we get a little bit of history behind them, but ultimately, you know, he fought kind of beside and, and somewhat against these guys during World War II. And, or, you know, what we found is later on, they were both, they, they took on the mantle subsequently for Steve when he, you know, was quote, you know, quote, unquote, frozen dead frozen in the ice during the 50s. And the '60s, and it even goes so far as to say they both basically saved the life of President Kennedy, you know, early on, and you know, pulled a plot to assassinate him back when he was a senator. So again, Steve's getting the picture that this is a message, you know, meant for him. The involving of, you know, again, it's it's focused on his either his rogues or his his friends and allies.
3: Sam, so I'm starting. I'm starting to see, uh, you know, a parallel in storytelling between uh, Brubaker and Johns. You know, we've talked before with Green Lantern and Flash Rebirth how Johns has always has brought in everybody from the respective heroes who's who's been involved, both their heroes and their villains, all the speedsters. In case of Flash, for example, and now we're seeing the same thing with with Cap. We're touching all his villains one by one. We're touching all of his uh, his counterparts, be it them alive or dead. Uh, just trying to bring everybody into the story as much to introduce you know me as a new reader, for example. As it is to build the building, the story. Just, to, just to, I just found that an interesting parallel between these two different writers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a, yeah, it's a super smart strategy too. I mean, especially if you're starting out with like a new number one, like he did. It's like, okay, let's establish the character. Let's establish his world. Let's, you know, so go with the supporting cast, and you know, see what, you know, see how my story wraps around those as well. It's the. Uh, like I said, in the eighties, it was all—I think I mentioned this too—and during the rebirth thing. In the eighties, it was all about stripping away and starting over with a clean slate, like you know, John Burns, Man of Steel, or uh, Le- you know, the Legends crossover in DC or whatnot. And lately, it seems to be the opposite. These writers, like Johns or Robinson or or Brubaker, in this case, embrace the continuity, use the best parts of it to tell good stories, rather than you know, jettisoning it and getting it away. I mean, I think the whole thing with the AID is is great. I mean, aim for forever in Silver, you know, Silver Age Marvel were just you know basically guys to be punched on in big bucket head costumes. You know, here Brubaker tweaks it just a little bit, and these guys are actually kind of dangerous. It's just a good example of how he's using what was already there as uh, in, in his storytelling arsenal. And it's it's a really smart strategy.
0: Yeah, I agree. So we see we move on cap moves on from Arlington and then comes across crossbow or uh, crossbones. And then we get this cool exchange of this fight between crossbones and cap. And he's remembering back to world war two of an exchange between him, Bucky and Baron Zemo. So he's obviously distracted while he's trying to fight. And I love these widescreen panels. And we get the flip flop where we get, you know, him current, current fighting crossbones. And then in the past, um, you know, and with his memory, and then it's you know, just, it just keeps, you know, goes back and forth, back and forth, and then we get, you know, the big, again, the big fight between him and Crossbones, and Crossbones basically hands Cap's butt to him and, and leaves him, leaves him out, and and you know, Crossbones basically can see that something's wrong with Cap, and that he's not going to finish him off, because he knows that, you know, for whatever reason, this isn't a fair fight at this point, he's not going to finish him off.
4: Yeah, the- that's great. I mean, Cross- Crossbones is just looking for a fight, and Steve can't give him one right now, and he's ticked off. He's going to go back after the Russian guy that sent him here because <laughs> he's ticked off about that. And I like the way, you know, you mentioned that he has like no superpowers. He's really drawn that way, you know? Like he's just like combat boots, jeans, knee pads, a bunch of places for guns, uh, you know, an ammunition vest, and he wears a mask. And he's just punching and kicking and. You know, he's hardcore.
2: He actually looks like a Cobra enemy from G.I. Joe. Like, can't you picture him as a three and three-quarter
4: action figure? <laughs> Destro. No,
2: seriously. Like, he's with, oh, yeah. like, you know, Major Blood or Zartan. Nice. With the Kung Fu grip.
0: <laughs> so then we cut to Sharon, who's trying to go after Nomad, and what she ends up coming across is what we'll find out to be the Winter Soldier, because we could see kind of the, you know, the metallic, Arm coming, cracking her on the back of the neck, and and taking her taking her down.
4: Good cliffhanger at this point. You really have no idea. You know, you could have stared at that frame forever, and you wouldn't have been able to come up with whose arm that was.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, again, you know, hind you know, reading in hindsight, you see all this stuff set up, and at the time, it's all just you know what's you know what's going on, what's going on. But I love the, the moving on to issue five. I love that scene we get where Cap. And Fury are talking on the helicarrier, and you see Cap with that big black eye, his right eye. There doesn't want to talk about it. Just kind of like move on. Let's get to the briefing. Fury kind of gives gives Cap the lowdown on Alexander Lukin, and they talk about talk about him. And then it, you know again we get another flashback sequence of Cap in World War II, with him and Bucky fighting. This one in color. And then we we kind of get the you know the first meeting of Cap and, and this character, um, Karpov, who will come to be important as the issue goes along.
4: I love the snow effect. You know, I don't know how you go about doing that. I guess it's mostly I guess, coloring, right? Because it's not really line work.
0: Yeah. But I love how, you know, Brutemaker sets all this up to where little things that are said by either, you know, the main character or some of the other characters, and it and initiates this flashback and kind of, uses steve's memory as to as to what really happened back at that time again you know Brubaker's taken stuff you know that happened during that time he's not negating anything but fleshing out more and more of what's of what's going on so that was interesting to see that the invaders in cap were actually working with the russians on that front you know kind of at this at this later point in the war and Karpov has that awesome comment where he says you know you europeans and and the americans you have your super soldier serum and he, he, you know, to, to defend itself, he said basically Russia has its winter.
4: Yeah, I like the, uh, you know, they're, they're having a nice fight. They're they're lobbing grenades, and you got the torch flying around, and you know they're shooting guns, and it's kind of like an old school fight, if you will. And then all of a sudden, there's like a giant green plasma, you know, laser shot, and it's from the Red Skull sitting behind this giant cannon. Yeah, the great sequence. It's all, it's almost like it's a flashback. So they did like old school Red Skull.
0: Yeah, yeah. And again, this is where we kind of see the you know again the simpler style of art almost you know in the flashbacks um, to kind of put you back in the period you know that Golden Age period. So, so for the most part, this issue just kind of a, a recap of, of Cap's adventure in Russia and how he became to know this this Karpov and how it relates to to this corporation. Cronus is what jogs caps memory in the fact that, you know, basically the village doesn't exist anymore, and it's the story of, of what happened. And we see at the end that Karpov finds this boy, you know, in the snow whose parents have been killed, and he basically takes him on as his protege, which is the Lucan, you know, Alexander Lucan that we know today. So this is kind of how, you know, basically his origin story without him being the focus of it. So I thought that was kind of interesting, too. And then and we also- see at the end...
2: No, also Red Skull's parents were uh, died when when he was born too. So those are really similar stories, right? In different places.
4: Yeah, there's definitely yeah, parallels going on.
2: Yeah, and we'll see how that plays out, you know, moving forward as well. Uh, it's
0: very pertinent to, to to what what ends up be what ends up happening. But then at the end of five, we see where Fury has been given a file. Uh, looks like a really beat up file. Um, it says classified Winter Soldier. So this is you know kind of the first hints, um, too, that we're getting that, you know, there's more going on uh, and what will eventually become the return of Bucky.
4: That Fury's is always up to something.
0: <laughs> so issue six, the last part of this arc here, again, another stunning cover, you know, Cap with the shield outstretched and a lot of World War II imagery going on, um, the white background I thought was interesting. So it kind of this issue kind of starts out where we see the Winter Soldier, who's activating a device that's basically, and he's leaving Nomad to kind of take the fall. Uh, Jack Monroe is going to be left behind to take the fall for, you know, what's what's happening. So that way they're, you know, again, to kind of throw off the trail on, uh, on him and to, um, you know, again, another dig at, at Cap from the guys pulling the strings uh, behind it all. And they're setting a bomb to go off in Philly. Then so we see. I thought this was an interesting thing too, where where Cap takes the trip back to the English Channel, and you know I think this more has to do with his memories. You know his memories are kind of flaking out on him. You know he doesn't know what's real and what's not real. So he goes back to basically the place where he died, and we see him going back into the castle. He starts having memories. Some of them get even more vivid. Where he, you know, at first they're just kind of ghost images, and then he actually feels like he can see and hear, you know, gunfire and the Russian soldiers and firing at him goes back out in the courtyard and realizes that it's all in his head. And he gets taken back, of course, to the scene that we've seen a a thousand times of Bucky and Cap on the rocket, Cap falling off, Bucky getting hung up, and the rocket exploding.
4: This is kind of like the Marvel version of Batman's parents getting gunned down outside of Zorro, you know, with the pearls falling. Yeah. Recently, especially, this has been done a number of times.
0: You know something is up. So he wants to get back to the States as fast as possible in this S.H.I.E.L.D. jet. And then we see this, I love on, on. I guess it's page 16, where you see Cap um, parachuting down that bottom part of that panel. I just think it's an awesome, you know, just an awesome panel where you've got the cityscape and night in the background. And then yes. again, we get another, another one of uh, John's favorites where we have uh, Cap ditching his parachute and just diving down onto the roof, grabbing a shield, doing the whole roll thing. He finds Sharon and realizes that basically the whole thing was, it was a setup for him to res- rescue Sharon and see the actual explosion take place. So he realizes it was a setup. He was never meant to, to find the bomb. Um, he, you know, whoever it was wanted him to get Sharon so that he could, he could have to witness what was going on firsthand. And then we also see that Fury is looking over this Winter Soldier file and, and seeing seeing what's going on.
4: Now, when and you guys course- got this look at uh, the Winter Soldier, you know, when he's looking at Cap through the sniper rifle, did you know, I mean, I guess, was that the giveaway for you guys that it was Bucky? You know, the domino-type mask, maybe? Or, I mean, I know he's got long hair and he's got the metal arm, so it doesn't really look like Bucky, but were you sold at this point? Do you remember?
0: I read it all after the fact, so for me it was all spoiled by this point. So I, I pretty much knew knew what was up. So I, I didn't have the benefit of you know being surprised by by this thing building. It was all after the fact for me,
4: right? Because it's kind of it's it's interesting, you know, with the whole thing about how people age or don't age in comics or whatever. But his face is definitely drawn older here. I think even older now in in this page than. He's drawn now as Captain America. You know, so there definitely could have been some doubt, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
4: And the hair was a throw off too.
0: Yeah, the long the long hair, definitely. And then the whole Russian thing too. So well we get the big reveal at the end of this issue that the cosmic cube, um, basically the explosion did what it was supposed to do. It took all of that the energy from all the death and destruction and channeled it into the cube and was able to, to seal the last of the perfection, imperfections. And we see Lucan holding up the cube, and it's been reassembled.
3: Now, earlier we mentioned um, it, was a, it was a cosmic cube. So is there more than one, or is it just interchangeably the the cosmic cube as opposed to a cosmic cube?
0: Well, I, there, are, there are more than one. They mentioned in this issue that it was a cosmic cube Basically, create. I forget which issue it was, but they mentioned that it was a cosmic cube created by this AID. So I don't think this is a, a cosmic cube as we as we know. I mean, they've pretty much retcon the Beyonder into being a either a shard of the cosmic cube or a, or another cosmic cube, and there there was a cosmic cube around as well. So I think at this point there are at least a couple few of them floating around. This one, it seems to me, is a little more. Um, maybe artificial or not quite as uh, you know.
1: Maybe not a full cube as we're you know as, as the, the real your, deal. It's do it yourself, cosmic cube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like IKEA. You get all the instructions yeah. and you put together. Right? You yeah, you got to put put it together through death and destruction. So,
0: so issue seven is a sad issue. Um, we basically of we, we take a little bit of a break between arcs here. And this issue's titled it's called interlude the Lonesome Death of Jack Monroe and basically this is we keep, again you know a way of bringing in a character and setting him up and giving a little backstory new York, you know again to keep that new reader friendly thing so somebody coming in here would have enough history to to understand who this character is so again, like we've seen in at things run, we start with a year you know one year ago, and we find out that um Jack Monroe has gone to see Dr. Jane Foster, the Dr. Jane Foster um, of Thor fame. So I guess that answers the question of has she been yeah. um, seen as a doctor prior? She, but uh, working with the Avengers. So we find out that, that Jack has cancer, um, and this was one year ago, and her comments are basically, well, it could have been the super soldier formula because he had been exposed to it as well, but the Vita didn't take and all that kind of stuff. Or it could have, you know, be one of you know, any other hundred thousand things that he was exposed to or had to deal with over, over time. So, you know, this issue just kind of recaps the fact that he was the cap or he was the Bucky during the, you know, basically the cold war days after, you know, cap was thought dead, him and, and the actual other cap were basically put in the cryostasis and brought out when needed, which is kind of funny because that's basically what, you know, what happens with the winter soldier. Then he comes out and, and takes on the nomad I, identity and it's funny how he, you know, obviously this guy's got a lot of hang-ups. He's not had an easy life. You know, he talks about, you know, he's never the first anything. You know, he was the second Bucky. He was the second Nomad. He said, hell, I couldn't even be the first Scourge. Or Scourge was that they had a big thing in the 80s. It was called the Scourge of the Underworld. And it was a way to Marvel basically went through and killed off a bunch of like Z-level villains, and it was always Scourge that did it. So the big, the big thing was always who, who was Scourge, um, and it ran for for quite some time. So um, Monroe took on the identity of of Scourge, the second Scourge by scavenging a bunch of alien technology and using it, um, you know, to kind of to kind of be vengeful. So it turns out he 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 has his his daughter has been um, adopted by some, I guess, better parents, or, or I'm not sure what the specifics are of that, um, and he he finds out that there's basically some folks dealing drugs in the neighborhood where his daughter goes to school and his daughter lives, and he's going to make it his life's mission now to track down these drug dealers and get to the actual source of the problem, and as the months go by, it's basically his reason to live, so as he's dealing with cancer and illness and sickness, he's he's just trying to get, you know, get to the bottom where these drug dealers are and put a stop to it. So I found it interesting, where, you know, basically the end of this issue is where we is where we left off at issue three, where he's right on the cusp of finding out who it is, and then um, along comes someone and assassinates him. And I thought it was really interesting that the he sees the person that comes and shoots him as Bucky, and not as at at this point it would have been the Winter Soldier. So I thought it was I thought it was interesting when when you know the, the, that panel exchange goes back Monroe, and he turns around and he goes don't do I know you? And, he, and, and the character goes, no. And then, boom, you
4: know, he gets blown away. Yeah, that, uh, that was really cool. I, I like the way they um, they filled that gap in and gave you his perspective. And Brubaker, it's kind of becoming, I don't want to say his M.O., but I know he did it in Iron Fist as well. he will He'll take a break in the action and throw these back stories in, but he always gives you something in them. You know, like, if you throw them away and get frustrated that, ah, I wanted to read, I wanted the story to continue to move on, you know, and you kind of maybe skim through it or whatever, you'll miss an important piece. And this pretty much, if you didn't know already, this pretty much tells you that, you know, who the Winter Soldier is.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. A very, very big visual, visual proof right, right there. Right. Issue 8. Um, this is the beginning of the Winter Soldier arc. Um, there'll be a little bit of a break in between in issue ten that we'll cover real quick with uh, House of Ham but this is kind of the the meat of it. I think at this point, if I'm not mistaken, when when this Winter Soldier arc started there was a lot of speculation or worded leak that Bucky was coming back uh, if if I recall. So I think at this point there was a lot of buzz going around um, about this, this being the arc that brings Bucky back at this point. So it kind of starts out, you know, in the English Channel um, in 1945 there's a Russian sub floating around and we see this I guess that's Karpov that, that's in the sub and they're they're kind of floating floating around seeing what's going on, which is pretty much the, the key to the issue where we'll start setting up what exactly happened to Bucky. And then we cut back to Jerry where he basically tells them that, that Bucky's still alive and that what, what it ends up being where they, they found the file on this thing called the Winter Soldier and they're tracking him through different periods of time and, and they can see him. And then we, we flash back to the previous night with the bombing in Philadelphia and Cap trying to do a rescue, fights some of these AIM soldiers again. And then we see this, uh, the Modoc squad come in, which are a bunch of robots, um, which I'm taking as a riff off of, uh, you know, the old head Modoc.
4: That's a great scene. He's got the guy, like, by the throat, you know, bringing the Modoc squad. You've got two seconds to tell me what the hell that sure. is. <laughs> yeah. the, guy, yeah. the guy coughs it right up. Cap says, you you guys never quit, do you? Yeah.
0: Military operatives designed only for combat. Uh,
1: everything's gotta, everything's a bunch of fun. I was say, at least there wasn't a bunch of giant heads on chairs. Man.
0: Yeah, dude, when I saw that, I thought that's exactly what it was going to be. They're very similar to OMAX in some sense, you know, with the with the red eye and from D.C. But then we get the briefing of Fury where he just kind of lets you know, Cap know that these are photos and, and they've taken at different points of time and that there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of aging going on. And then, of course, we get towards the end and Cap comes face-to-face. So even though he doesn't believe what Fury's saying, in the flashback, he can see where he comes face-to-face and he says, Bucky? And then Bucky says, who the hell is Bucky? And then, of course, something big collapses. Cap turns to look around and he's gone. And then, you know, of course, he tells Fury he doesn't know what he saw. So he's, you know, very conflicted, but... He knows. I think at this point, you know, he knows in his heart that it was Bucky.
4: I love the the spy element continuing with the, you know, the surveillance cameras that got shots of Bucky. You know, blown up with the red circle around his face and the different angles. It just has that real nice, like you guys said before, that born identity spy feel to it.
0: Kind of like the jackal. You know, he's like you know, the Winter Soldier is kind of this myth or this guy that may or may not exist and he's been seen or you know but never detailed photographs of him exist you know they think he's been here and they think he's been there nothing concrete but you know it's somebody they kind of tracked as like a person of interest kind of thing so I thought that was that
2: was kind of cool Kaiser Soze
0: Yeah so of course we get to the end of the issue again we get these awesome black and white flashback sequences where we see Bucky being retrieved on a russian sub with tattered clothing and one arm
4: I like the effect of the title at the end. thought that was cool.
1: I really like this. Uh, not only does it bring us up to speed on Bucky, but it kind of explains how and why. Which, I mean, these are all the questions I had where I was like, what? Bucky, but wouldn't he be in his 70s? You know, and uh, I mean, this is where it all kind of comes together.
0: Yeah. We kind of get, you know, again, starting the issue, we get, Rubik has done this before too, where we kind of get these bookends where there's a government re-education facility and we see that, crossbones has, has broken in, and then we cut away. And then we get this scene of, you know, Cap and Sharon and Fury, and there's a lot of tension going on, but we don't know why. And then we cut back, and, and Sharon's kind of ticked off at Steve and basically baited him into telling you know, her the truth. You know, she didn't know, but she baited him into telling her that he wanted Sharon off the, the mission. And then, of course, we cut back to the mission, and then we cut to two days before where Cap actually has a conversation with Fury where he says he doesn't want Sharon on mission. So it's kind of interesting use of two flashbacks to tell kind of the same, you know, the history of, of, of the tension that exists uh, as they move in. So, of course, we get this exchange again. You know, Cap's being set up. He breaks into this meeting. You know, basically they're on this unsanctioned UN meeting. He breaks in to, to grab Lucan because he thinks Lukin's behind the whole thing. Secretary General of the United Nations is there. And basically, in the end of it cap and and company have to run away with their tail between their legs, and we see that Lucan has the cosmic cube. so I kind of took it as this whole thing being a manipulation of the cube. I don't know what you guys thought about um about this whole thing with with issue with issue nine with the whole u n security you know the secretary general and all these diplomats and everything else being there and then, you know, Lucan pulls out the cube
1: at the end. I love the line where it's like, I just want to wipe the smirk off his face, and Fury's like, really, you must be softening up, because I want to see him dead. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I didn't take it as a manipulation. I, I'd probably have to read it again. I, I thought it was kind of just like a corruption type thing, like, you know, Captain America's like the sign of, you know, the symbol of America, and he really believes in the country and everything, and like, Here's this, like, situation where the corrupt politicians are going to stop him from doing the right thing. I I remember having that feel, like they knew who they were in bed with with Lucan, but it was all about whatever they were up to, so Cap couldn't do anything.
0: Yeah. And, of course, Lucan's assistant is starting to realize that the cube is is cursed and that, you know, bad things are going to continue to happen. You think? Yeah. Then, of course, we get the bookend to the beginning of the issue where we go back to the re education facility and we find out that the reason Crossbones was there is because he was there to get the daughter of the Red Skull. Yes. Great way to end an issue, especially um, knowing that issue 10 was a bit of an interlude for, for the Winter Soldier arc, which, you know, at the time if I was reading this, must have, in one way, driven, driven you nuts because you're finally getting to the, to the heart of what this is all about. And then Marvel has this big event called House of M, and it throws off all the books. But this was interesting because we'll we'll just cover this one real brief because it, it's not really pertinent to, to the Winter Soldier story specifically. But I think there's some interesting things that happen in the House of M universe, kind of like almost in the in the Earth X universe. Cap didn't wasn't frozen in the waters, um, and he basically continued to age and you know live out the rest of his life as if um, as if you know, as he would have come coming home from the war. So it kind of starts with the ceremony there they have to kinda honor him, then we kind of get flashes back to in this alternate history, Cap was actually actually able to disable the rocket the, and send it back um, at Zemo and Bucky and Cap dove off right before it hit into the water, you know, essentially killing Zemo, killing Nazi outfits. And then basically the rest of the war continues with, you know, almost them single handedly beating the Nazis Actually, the, the Red Skull is killed. Cap is actually pulls out Hitler out of the bunker, and he's captured. You know, he didn't end up committing suicide. So then we flash forward again, and I thought it was interesting that Dum-Dum Dugan in the present time, again, he's another one of those that hasn't really aged, but yet here he's, he's an old man, just like the rest of them. Again, we flash back to 1946, and, you know, Cap, you know, again, since he's, you know, he's in society, he's back, you know, what would, you know, what would this kind of person do? had he survived the war and come home. Well, he gets married and wants to start a family in 1946. Um, and then, you know, this is where we kind of get the whole House of M plant to what's going on, where, you know, basically instead of the, the House on American Activity Committees, it's the Senate hearings on mutant activity. Um, so it's basically the whole Who Act thing focused on mutants and not on communists, and Cap just gets hacked off because he's having to call out um, people he fought you know, toe-to-toe with in the war and isn't going to discuss it. So he basically quits, joins the Air Force, and walks on the moon in 1955 instead of 1969. So I thought that was interesting that, you know, again, they were able to get to the moon that much faster, which, which kind of goes back to, I don't know if you guys picked that up in, that, in the earlier issue when he talked about how he talked about wanting to be an astronaut and that all those pilots that did all those risky test flights and stuff like that, that that should have been him so it almost gives you the, the, the feeling that Brubaker's picking up with that here. Where you know, if if Rogers had been the pilot, in some of those those planes they would have moved along a little faster. He gives a, a pro mutant statement uh, landing on the moon, which I thought was kind of funny. A little cheesy, but
4: now they just um, took a one issue, the the one issue was House of M, and obviously when they came back for issue eleven, House of M wasn't completed. But they just kinda dropped it like that was their one issue to explain or to tie in and then they went right back to regular continuity, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And we'll see kinda at the end where it where this one kinda leaves off and where, where we pick up where we would pick up and off of them. But you know, we just kinda get this this tale through the years. You know, Cap meets up with Bucky and Bucky is you know, joining this agency called SHIELD and he's become a little anti mutant himself. We see the rise of Magneto and then we see that, you know, Steve has kind of come against you know, Magneto, and sees him a little more like Hitler, you know, decides to, you know, resign from the Air Force. And then, you know, he, he gets into this, you know, fight with mutants and realizes he's, he's getting old. And then it ends, you know, just, it's kind of funny, his last words were, well, that's just life. Still, I thought it would be a lot different than this. In the shadow, we see, you know, him in a cap uniform, you know, walking down the stairs. And then in the next panel, the last panel, we see basically what are the, the new Avengers of the House of M, at this point, I'm assuming have all gotten their memories back because we see Wolverine, we see Luke Cage, and we see Spider-Man, and and this will pick up in House of M where they decide to go to go find Cap in this reality and use him to help them kind of put things back to normal. So just you know, a nice little interlude with things slanted, um, you know, kind of like a what-if tale, you know, how things would have been slanted, you know, if if Cap had survived given the events of House of M coupled with it.
1: Now, if I remember correctly, in House of M, they end up not using him, right? They realize that he's an old man, and they're just like, no, let's leave him alone.
0: Yeah, 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 so I think so. So I've, I've read it a couple times, and it's been a while, but yeah. So issue 11, which we get back to The Winter Soldier. This I, I love the cover of this issue. This is just an awesome cover where we see the, the profile view of The Winter Soldier and all the images of Bucky in the background. And this is the issue where we basically get the real history of what happened. Kept in his apartment, he's been given the Winter Soldier file that just shows up for, for him as out of the clear blue because he's even checked the security system and nobody has entered the, the apartment. And then starting with 1945, we basically start getting this, this dossier-style um, history of of what happened. And basically he was pulled out of the ocean, he was kept, you know, alive, you know, he... he He kind of had his memories of his fighting style, but had I guess because he was, quote, dead for so long, his brain was a little mush, couldn't remember things. So they put him on ice for a while, and then in 1954, they decide to wake him up because they've got the technology to rebuild his arm in a mechanical version, and once they're able to do that, they basically start brainwashing him and training him to go on, on missions, and they pretty much, you know, use him on a mission, put him back on ice, use him on a mission, put him back on ice. So throughout the years, he's he's gone on missions for the for the Russians over the years, and it isn't until 1973 when he's given a mission to go back to the states that he kind of goes a little awol. And, and you know, again, they allude to the fact that he's back in the states, he's back home, and he's kind of it's starting to come back to him a little bit that maybe, you know, who he is isn't what he thought and. He's, he's starting to have a little little bit of reservation about what what is exactly going on. It so basically comes back, and then they decide at that point to not give him any more missions in the U.S. Uh, for fear that maybe next time he won't come back at all. And then they basically mothball him in 1988, and he's put in put in cold storage. And I guess this is the equivalent of whatever aircraft hanger or whatever they have. The ark. The Russian. Yeah, they're, they're where the, the Ark is in the U.S., this is where the... If the Russians had found it, this is where they would have put the Ark in the covenant, uh, <laughs>
4: Or alien which, technology.
0: Yeah, which kind of makes sense because, you know, here we are in 1988, so what happens, you know, 1990, 1991, Russia collapses. You know, so basically he's been put in storage. To, to, you know, the Russia, as we know, it falls apart. You know, and it's basically, you know, left up to this ex-KGB warlord guy to, uh, you know, to... to Kind of find them again and use them. So we have this cool flashback of Bucky and Cap, him Cap remembering when they kind of came back stateside for a little R and R for a while, and got to see some new newsreels of their of their exploits. And then you know Bucky makes the comment that you know I, I'm I'm really the only person to understand him, and you know that's always been kind of Cap's thing from time to time. It's kind of man out of time, you know, stuck in the 40s but living in the in the current in the present day. I thought that was an
1: interesting. Yeah, this issue is a really big info dump. Uh, it answers a lot of the the hanging questions that we've had for this entire time about you know whether he is or isn't Bucky. How could he be? You know, the age that he is, even though he supposedly you know, fell off the airplane in the '40s. Why is he working for this Russian? It, it just um, Brubaker answers it all fairly elegantly in this one issue.
0: And it, it makes you hard to be upset about the fact that he brought Bucky back. I mean, because my first reaction was, are, are you kidding? You know, it was, it was anger. You know, it was like, you know, that was always, the one constant in comics was, you know, Bucky was dead. But the way he's done it, it was, to me, it was so, it was so brilliant. And it doesn't retcon anything. It 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 just works. It fits.
4: Yeah, I didn't even really have a strong reaction to Bucky being back just from lack of background or whatever, but I thought it was a great story on its own. You know, even... And that says something, I think, too. You know, it was, it was great for the people who knew Bucky, and it was great for the people who really had no investment in him, which I think is a pretty big compliment.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we move on to issue 12, Winter Soldier Part 4, and we see that Lucan is going to auction off the cube and start the bidding at $100 billion.
1: Yeah, I really wondered about this. If he has a cosmic cube, couldn't he just create one hundred million dollars or whatever? You would think. I would think.
0: But I think, yeah, and you know, as we'll see what what this ends up being, it's just all set up for kind of you know him to use the cube to manipulate everybody into basically signing over their company and having it merged to this huge conglomerate. So this is where we get back to Steve Fury and Sharon Carter showing up and. You know, they basically come under the assumption that it's the cube that put the the file in his um, in, Kev, in Cap's apartment or condo or whatever it is, just kind of mess with his head. We get a flashback sequence of Bucky training with with the same guys that trained Cap when he you know first became with Steve when he first became Cap, and this kind of dovetails into to what we saw in issue 50. You know where we kind of got the history of, of how Bucky went from basically getting into trouble all the time. To being shipped, you know, over overseas to train with and and become Cap's partner. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool that you know they kept that consistency between there and here.
3: Quick, quick question on that. Bucky was just basically a soldier with special training. He didn't have the super soldier serum, correct?
0: Correct. Nothing, nothing special about him. So we get back to the bidding. One of the guys wants proof, and so he basically makes the cube generate a bunch of contracts and make them all want to sign the contracts, which basically merge all their assets into subsidiaries of Cronus. So I'm not sure who all these folks are here, but again, this is an effort to to consolidate Cronus's power as a major corporation, having taken over Roxxon. We'll find out later, you know, bid to take over Stark. So he's just looking to... You know, we'll really see this play out after after 25, and how you know what what Lucan what Lucan's plan is, and and how it it plays out with the whole corporate takeover thing. So we see the cube is starting to affect Lucan. He drops it. His assistant goes to pick it up, and Lucan smacks him over the head with a with a table for just touching it. So he's he's obviously attached to it, and we'll find out very soon why that is so again we get more more flashbacks of cap with him and bucky um we find you know that the nazis took some look like the ows and oh, almost like they were zombies at, at this point and used them to to blow up a, a bridge
4: yeah definitely got a walking dead feel out of that panel
0: yeah then we get a cool i love the la- you know the last panel cap is just kind of going on about his business he kind of stops that mugger from mugging that woman and just kind of throws a shield picks it up keeps on going um, while he's thinking about it, and then up comes Sam Wilson, the Falcon, and basically says, "You know, hey, Fury called and thought you might need a friend." And instead of Cap kind of being a pig-headed, "Oh, you know, I don't need anybody," he goes, "Yeah, yeah, uh, I really do, Sam." So it's kind of a you know, a, you know, a way for those two to kind of you know again bring the Falcon in, another another old Cap staple, and a way to bring him in into the to the story.
1: I've a, I've a, I love the Falcon as a character, and I love the way he's written here. I mean, there's really no one else who's that close, uh, a friend to Cap, as the Falcon is. I mean, it makes total sense that Brubaker would you know, bring him in.
4: Was the Falcon, yeah, I mean, was he always a player in Cap books? I mean, he never had his own book, right? Yeah. He's I mean, had his
1: own mini, he had his own miniseries, uh, but I don't think he's ever had his own monthly. But uh, the Captain America uh, monthly for a long time was Captain America and the Falcon right on the cover.
0: That's yeah, yeah. Was it late seventies, Jim? Early eighties?
1: That sounds right.
0: Yeah, it was a quite of, a few. A lot
1: of the, uh, a lot of the Kirby run that I enjoyed had the Falcon in it as well.
0: Yeah, it was quite a few years that, um, that that was the case. Where it was, it was, the book was actually titled Captain America, so it was two very, very close. So issue thirteen, Winter Soldier part five, and we see where Luke Is starting to realize he's cracking a bit. We see his his assistant or his his partner is is in the infirmary. He's not dead, but he's not in a real good shape either. At this point, may or may not make it. We get a nice exchange between Cap and the Falcon. So he's kind of, you know, Cap is kind of bringing him up to speed. And then we get Lucan that decides that he's going to give the the cube to, to Bucky, Winter Soldier, and tells him to kill anybody who attempts to touch it. And then he disappears. So the Winter Soldier now has the cosmic cube. Then we cut away to an aid facility the Lower East Side, and basically we get... Cap, Iron Man, and Falcon raiding the facility and a big battle ensues with a giant robot, which they're eventually able to take down. I thought this was interesting, too, because this is, you know, know what's coming up in Civil War. This is really the last time that, you know, Cap and, and Iron Man are going to really work together this close side by side friends.
1: Even the, um, the relationship between them here is strained, you know? I mean, Tony's like, can I do this for you? Can I? No, no, that's okay. We can take it from here, you know? All we need you to do is to track this, you know? And it just, it don't, they don't seem to be, you know, the the, the friends that they had always been, the Avengers. It seems like even before Civil War, there's, there's a little bit of friction between them. Yeah,
0: I think a lot of that goes back to kind of the whole disassembled thing, you know, where Tony was the one that said, you know, hey, no more Avengers.
4: It's a compliment to Civil War as an event, You know, that it was kind of like, when you read this now, you're like, oh, wow, Iron Man and Captain America together. You know, it kind of, it attests to the weight that Civil War has had. Like, not a lot of people love the mini Civil War, but you can't argue the lasting effect that it's had on the Marvel Universe. I mean, all the registration stuff and everything, really, in the last couple of years has come out of Civil War.
0: Yeah.
3: Let me uh, just drop back to when uh, he gives Bucky the, uh, the cube. Is this the first time we're seeing this uh, 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 inner voice or some kind of voice speaking to him that no one else can hear? Yes. Yeah. He's questioning sending the cube away and it's a mistake.
4: Yeah, it's definitely been a gradual, you know, the, the cube is taking him over gradually. Well, I mean, I'm,
3: I haven't read, like I said, I said, I haven't read from here to 25 yet, but i I'm thinking I know who the voice really is, but we don't know yet that what's going on, right? No,
0: no. Right, right. So basically, after the the big robot fight, and you know, Cap is and Falcon are convinced that Cronus has a lot to do with this. Tony decides to tell Steve that you know he cannot move forward with the whole raid on Cronus thing because he was barely able to keep keep his company alive after. Cronus tried to take it over, the whole Avengers disassemble thing. He's really taken a beating from the board. His stock has taken a beating. And if he's seen as being involved in this raid on a Cronus facility, that, you know, it's going to be seen as corporate warfare, and he'll basically get ousted of his own company. So he decides to bow out, take a back seat, and uh, Cap and Falcon decide to, uh, to proceed. They hit the Allegheny Mountains. They're about to raid on this Cronus facility. And we see the Winter Soldier has Cap and Falcon in his crosshairs and fires the shot.
4: That last thing that you said about Stark one of the one of the first things I read when I came back was the rebooted Iron Man series, and this is really the first signs of Tony being the jerk for like three years straight. <laughs> and then that's okay, you know, it's not a, that's not a criticism, but they really right. started planting the seeds that when they went to Civil War, Tony was the bad guy and Cap was the was the good guy. There's really no way you could side with Tony. And, and it starts here. You know, really? You're going to sit out this mission with Captain America because of your company? You know, they really started playing him as on the wrong side of the fence here.
0: Yeah. So issue 14, the big finale to Winter Soldier Part 6. So again, we this is a pretty cool cover. It's kind of a nice throwback, even to the old style in the background. You know, the the, the golden age style, and even for the covers, it kind of gives it that golden age style for the two of them facing off on the on the front. The old lettering, the the old numbering scheme, everything. I thought that was pretty cool.
4: Yeah, definitely.
0: So we pick up where we left off, and we find out that Bucky missed, doesn't understand it, and you know, I think a lot of it is just subconscious. He realizes what he's doing is. is wrong and starting to, to come back to him just a little bit. So then we have this, this fight that goes on between Cap going after Winter Soldier, Falcon going to take on these these goons. He starts to get himself outnumbered. Cap starts to face uh, Winter Soldier one-on-one, and he's trying to get through to him. Then we have this awesome, uh, I, I kind of thought of it as a James Bond moment, where Falcon is fighting all these guys, you know, where he's almost like the James Bond character trying to take on all these guys, and then all of a sudden the cavalry comes in, you know, it's just kind of in a typical James Bond movie where he infiltrates, you know, the bad guys by himself, and just as, as it gets into this huge firefight, you know, people start repelling from opening volcanoes or coming in <laughs> in space shuttles or, you know, you know, space suits with laser weapons or, you know, whatever, but I just had a real James Bond moment when, when the cavalry comes in.
1: I want the friggin' sharks with the friggin' lasers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we go back, we get more of the fight with, uh, with Cap and Bucky at this point. He's trying to get him to realize who he is. Bucky doesn't want to hear any of it. Again, more fight. You know, until, until the end, where Cap puts the shield down and says, "You know, Winter Soldier says, uh, you know, I'm the man that's going to kill you. And then Cap says, fine, go ahead. If you truly don't know me, just do it. And then we get this he goes to panels where we get closer and closer and closer, and he shoots. Cap turns at that time. He misses. Cap fires a ricochet shot with a shield. Cosmic Cube falls to the floor, and Cap takes it at that moment and says, remember who you are. And, of course, then at that moment, everything floods back into to Bucky, and we get this awesome two-page spread. I guess it's, it's pages, what, 18 and 19, where he's in the center of it, holding his head down, and we get these flashes of the skull and Captain Nazi and the plane and, you know, him first coming to Fort Lehigh. Um, I just thought this was a really cool 2 flash.
4: Definitely. Well, you could just see it as, you know, if it was a movie, you know, the flashes of all of his memories just coming back, flooding him at one time.
0: Yeah, and then the, the way that, and I guess, again, this gets back to kind of the coloring, but it's almost like it's a distressed piece of parchment you know that that they're using for his memories right, uh, the, way right. the way it's done in the background i just thought that was really cool
4: i like too. speaking of the coloring on the previous page as soon as uh if you notice that the pages are kind of like they're kind of dull you know they're kind of washed out yeah um a lot of gray tones and stuff and then as soon as cap says remember who you are you get that blue light that comes out and kind of takes over bucky I don't know. It was just I, I thought it was cool the way it was kind of like Captain America's influence shown in the color over Bucky. You know that that now he was back rather than in that gray world.
1: You
3: know, it's, right. yeah, I mean, an inter- just an interesting, interesting comparison also to when uh, he was using it as a re- if he was the, in fact the red skull control controlling before it was a red you know hue coming out of the cube. Now the caps controlling it's a it's a it's a blue a blue hue, so it definitely mm-hmm. reflects the user. It seems right,
0: right. So Cap convinces the rest of them that, hey, it's over, he's he's remembered who he is, and he tells them basically he should have killed him. Takes the cosmic cube, and he disappears. And I, I thought it was interesting at first that, you know, Sharon and Sam thought that, you know, basically he grabbed it and killed himself with it. Because, you know, what you even look on the ground, and there's like a smoldering pile of
3: yeah. ashes. Did he destroy the cube? Um, or just use it. I'm sorry. Did he destroy the cube, or did he just use it to get out of there?
0: Yeah, because he crushed it. Yeah, if you okay. look.
3: That's what I thought.
0: Uh, yeah, if but you it look also, at that. It, that it, go ahead. Yeah, I was just say if you look at that at that page before that conversation where he has the cube in his hand, it's it's cracked. It's starting to crack.
3: Right. It just that it also um, teleported them out of there, though.
0: Yeah, but all they see is that pile of ash. Cap right. is convinced that no, he's still out there. He's a survivor. And I thought it was cool that he goes back to Camp Lehigh. So again, he's kind of going back to his roots, and he's starting to remember. And this is almost a continuation of Cap's earlier image, where he remembered first showing up and Bucky being there. So this is like the next four panels, or whatever that would be, where Cap gets out of the Jeep and introduces himself. Then of course we get the big reveal, finally, that Red Skull is not dead, and that he was able to somehow merge with Alexander Lukin, and so they're kind of both sharing the same
3: body at this point. Right, and this is where I was asking earlier about the mask because you know later on after twenty five, when I've been reading, I saw you know Lukin is wearing a Red Skull mask, apparently. Yes. I guess that's. I guess that's when the the Red Skull personality takes over more fully, probably.
1: Yes.
0: So there we have it. The first half of Brubaker's opus.
1: Again, you know the Tony takes with the the, the modern espionage take on Cab. Super, super smart take on the character. It's just really well-written, tight, crisp dialogue, uh, interpersonal relationships that make sense. And it's, Again, you know, we're, we compare him to John's or whatever, you know, taking the past continuity and, and flipping it around and turning it into modern story, storytelling. But, I mean, Cap really kind of needed this. He was kind of languishing there in, in limbo for a while. I'm glad they brought someone on like Brubaker or had a real vision for the character. Yeah,
0: I don't think Cap's ever been this interesting to read and like you know we've commented and everybody else has commented for the past 26 issues he hasn't even been a part of the book
4: are you guys what's your feeling for reborn right now like your excitement level if you had to put a one to ten on it you know having said what you just said
0: i would say for me probably about a six or seven i, I think it's not i think before it came out i was a little overhyped so I think number one definitely was not a disappointment. I enjoyed it very much. But I think maybe my my expectations got a little out of control, and I think I thought too much. But I'm, I'm pretty excited to see where, where they go with it.
3: I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in the same, the same spot, mainly because I am so removed from the Marvel Universe right now. Um, when I switched to doing trades, I really didn't keep any Marvel in, in monthly, so I'm so far behind right now. I don't even know what's going on. I haven't barely read more than one or two issues of any Dark Rain related titles, so to say that I'm uh, current enough to even you know care, am I curious? Yeah, but I'm just waiting on trades for all this stuff, so uh, I'm interested, I want to see the story that's being told. We all knew this day was coming eventually anyway, so it's not like it's a surprise that Cap's coming back, but, you know, whatever.
4: What I like about it is just coming off what you just said, I hope that they play this as, you know, Cap comes back, has no idea what's going on, you know, again, Right, because Cap didn't have an idea really what was going on when he was frozen all that time. And right. somebody lays the you know, the news on him that, hey, well, Norman Osborn runs the new hammer, which is SHIELD, and and you know, and Cap being like, who runs what? And you know <laughs> and him being the guy that is the voice of reason, like how the heck did anyone let Norman Osborn take over anything and hopefully take him down? I mean, I think that would be the real impact of Reborn if it bled into Steve taking out Dark Reign. I was listening to
3: another podcast, and my big question this whole time has been, you know, that would be very cool to see, to, to, to see that, John. One thing I've always been curious about is, well, what's Bucky's place if Steve Rogers is back? And um, I want to say it might have been Jamie D on CGS, but it was like, you know, how about you keep Bucky as Cap, and now you've got Steve Rogers, director of S.H.I.E.L.D.,
4: yeah, I heard that and I love it.
1: Yeah, me, me too. I'd be fine with that because my anticipation level for Reborn really is not very high. I, I like Bucky as Cap. I think it's making for good stories. I think there's a lot more that could be done with the character, uh, you know, Bucky as Cap. And I mean, it kind of reflects what's going on in Batman now. I, I really hope they let Dick Grayson stay as, as Batman for a while. I think it's cool that they're actually letting these, you know, the sidekicks. Grow into the mantle of their mentor. I mean, it's it seems like a natural progression that really doesn't happen very often in comics.
0: Absolutely. So I guess
1: a, that. Cover on this one, gentlemen.
0: Yeah, I guess I was say that. I guess that wraps up um, the first half of this, and of course, next week, big uh, episode fifty, and then in two weeks will be uh, the second half of our discussion which will take us through starting with issue 15 through 25 and then we'll probably' we'll talk some civil war we'll probably talk a little bit about a little bit more about reborn you know kind of what came after 25 and then of course I think when omnibus 2 comes out at some point we'll probably have a, a another discussion on the whole death of and what that meant so so yeah I guess that'll do it, do it for this week
4: Very good. So we will hopefully hear from everybody on Stick'Em this Sunday, which is in a couple of days when you hear this. Help me out, Ken, live.legionofdudes.com. You got it. Live.legionofdudes.com for all the info. That will hook you up with the uh, Stick'Em feed. Join us. Uh, Let us say thank you and, you know, win a prize and contribute. Fun will be had by all. Right. So I guess that's it.
0: Not at all. So please, you know, go to the comicforums.com. We've got a thread in, in the uh, Half-Hour Wish and Legion of Dudes thread for ask questions of the dudes. There's a lot of good questions in there. Feel free to leave some more. We'll be drawing for a prize from all the, the entries. So if there's stuff you want to know, things you want to ask, you know, drop it in there.
4: Cool deal. So we will talk to you Sunday. Have a good night. Good night. Good night.
1: Captain America to a position.